0: Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. Hey, church, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Matt Slaughter, and wow, uh, I am a lucky man. After hearing uh, my wife bring it before, y'all are probably better suited to hear her preach this message, but um, you're stuck with me for the next 20 to 30 minutes. Hey, listen, um, I'm gonna start off with, with a story. How many of you have experienced something traumatic in your life? I bet the vast majority of us have. Um, my wife and I were mugged at gunpoint uh, back in 2012 before we were married. I had a really dark start, uh, hope, hope, stick with me, because it has a happy ending. I think we were, we were mugged, it was late at night, I picked her up from the airport and uh, drove her to her apartment and literally two men jumped out of the bushes and said, don't move, don't scream, to which Kayla did both of those things. Y'all pray for her because she just she doesn't listen, you know? Um, and in that moment, uh, one of the most terrifying moments of my life, like having a gun actually pointed at your temple, slammed down into the ground. They took our wallets, they took our phones. And then what, the moment after they ran off, it felt, like a, it felt like an eternity, it felt like hours. Um, but it was really just a minute before I was like, I guess in my right mind to ask if Kayla was okay. Like, cause, like we were so scared and thankfully we were. I think as far as muggings going went really well. And in that moment I had a choice and I think looking back at that moment I still have a choice. I could play the victim and just let that trauma define me and break apart um, everything I believe and make me doubt my safety. Really, that moment was a, a cornerstone in my relationship with Kayla, my relationship with God, and it changed the entire trajectory of our life. Shortly after that, about six, nine months later, we were married. We expedited our whole relationship. We quit our jobs, we moved to a new city. Our new community. We leaned heavily into our relationship with Jesus, and everything changed after that moment. And so, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk tonight about perspective and focus, where we put our focus. We're going to be in Philippians. We've been going through a collection called Heaven's Agenda. And the whole purpose behind this, this whole collection is to remind our church and the people watching that our agenda is not earthly in nature. We serve a heavenly agenda. We're aliens here. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. The whole book of Philippians is, a, is a, it's called the Epistle of Joy. We've heard this before in the last couple of weeks. The whole purpose in the four chapters is just to encourage the people of Philippi. Paul's writing from prison. And uh, I love that word encouragement. He's, he, his whole purpose is to encourage the people of Philippi is to put courage into them. And I, before we get into the scripture, I want us to take a couple notes. Before the skeptics who hear that I'm about to talk about rejoicing and joy and looking at the bright side and changing your perspective, I wanna encourage you that I too have historically wrestled with this idea of rejoicing in all seasons. When I get upset about something, and somebody tells me to look at the bright side or find the silver lining or look at the cup half full, I get kind of frustrated because in that moment, I really just want to feel justified. I want to feel justified in my pain and I want to feel justified in how I believe that situation should affect me and how I should feel righteous in my response to that situation. But consider this, rejoicing is is a choice. Choosing to rejoice is choosing this verb, choosing this action. Whereas like a lot of people will seek out happiness in life and happiness is a noun and it's based off of circumstance. Whereas rejoicing is something that I can conscientiously choose to do in all seasons. And the Bible is very explicit about choosing to rejoice. For the people who don't have a problem with this, I envy you. This comes naturally. I would encourage you in this season of pure anger, in discord and dissension to lean heavily into being a joyful presence because the world needs that right now. And as believers, we're not only encouraged and affirmed in our rejoicing in all season, we're commanded to. And so I just want to break that down in tonight's message. Before we get into the scripture, a couple observations about Paul. We're going to be in Philippians 1, 12 through 20. right at the start of the letter and a couple things about Paul. Paul's not unintellectual. He's a smart dude. He's very positive, but he's not unrealistic. He's filled with joy, but not unaware of the circumstances around him. He's, as some would say, especially at Pinewood, grateful, expectant, and ready. It's important to note that he's not ambivalent or ignorant. He's very attuned to the nature of his position in prison and everything happening around him. And so let's dive in real quick. It's gonna be on the screen too. And I'm going to be reading out of the Passion Translation because reasons. I want you to know, dear ones, what has happened to me has not hindered but helped my ministry of preaching the gospel, causing it to expand and spread to many people. For now, the elite Roman guards and government officials overseeing my imprisonment have plainly recognized that I am here because of my love for the anointed one. And what I'm doing through has actually caused many believers to become more courageous in the Lord, and to be bold and passionate to preach the word of God, all because of my chains. It's true that there are some who preach Christ out of competition and controversy, for they are jealous over the way God has used me. Many others have purer motives. They preach with grace and love, filling their hearts, because they know that I've I've been destined for a purpose of defending the revelation of God. Those who preach Christ with ambition and competition are insincere. They just want to add hardships for my imprisonment. Yet in spite of all this, I am overjoyed. For what does it matter? And we're going to come back to that. He said, for what does it matter as long as Christ is preached? Like, hone on that. For what does it matter so long as Christ is preached? If they preach him with mixed motives or genuine love, the message of Christ is still preached. And I will continue to rejoice. So take note. He says, I will rejoice But before that, he says, I am rejoicing. I am overjoyed. I'm filled with joy. Writing from prison. Because I know that the lavish supply of the spirit of Jesus, the anointed one, and your intercession for me will bring about my deliverance. No matter what, I will continue to hope, passionately cling to Christ so that he will openly be revealed through me before everyone's eyes. So I will not be ashamed in my life or death. Christ will be magnified in me. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that uh, you give us all the reasons and all the resources to be joyful in all seasons. Thank you for this example in Paul. Thank you for this situation that we can look at and juxtapose to our own situation and find real meaningful joy in you. Lord, bless this message. Speak through me. Bless all those who watch. Lord, I pray that they leave with a better picture of who you are what joy looks like in troublesome seasons. And we ask all this in your name, amen. So background, we can assume that Paul was writing this as a response to everything the uh, Philippians had said to him, whether through Epaphroditus who came and was sent to them or uh, letters that he received from them, but anyways, he's, he's responding to a very uh, distinct care. Like the Philippians sent a care package to him and they, they expressed concern for him. And so he's responding to that. Remember, Paul had every reason to be mad, upset, frustrated with God, even play the victim, spin out into this turmoil and just sit in it. But he doesn't. Can you imagine like, like, like for those that don't understand like Paul's past, Paul used to be called Saul. He used to kill Christians. He actually stood by and watched idly as Stephen was stoned. He turned his whole life around for Jesus. And now this is his second time in prison because of his pursuit of the gospel being preached. He was betrayed by those closest to him. He's literally sitting in a cell chained to somebody. Like, I, I, I just can't even fathom that. Like, I feel, like, bad right now, like, in this season. Like, I feel kind of, like, closed up, but it's, like, nothing, just absolutely nothing compared to what Paul was going through. He's chained to an enemy. I've had avocado toast every day for the last 109 days in quarantine. That's an honest thing. I have nothing to complain about, and I still find it hard to rejoice like Paul was rejoicing here. The solitude, the frustration, the panic, the overwhelming sense of chaos around me, And the anger, if you're like me, you're tired of just people being so angry. The anger is so real around me. And it's really, really hard to rejoice when you're confronted with so much contentment around. But Paul, it's like he doesn't even, like, it's like he doesn't even let it bother him. He sees it. He definitely recognizes it. He talks about it. But Paul's response, I wanna call it two things. He says, so what? For what does it matter? And that word is, uh, is from a Greek word, tigar, and it means what about it or so what? And it's almost like, not condescending, but it's very assertive. He's saying like, yes, I see that, but why? What does it matter? And it reminds me of how Jesus responds to Peter in John 21. Peter is asking about his future to Jesus. And Jesus says, you're going to be taken where you don't want to go and you're going to be clothing clothes that you don't want to be wearing as if to like predict his death, his crucifixion. And in that moment, Peter goes, oh man, like that sucks. What about John? And he asks, he asks Jesus what, what John's future is. And Jesus looks at him stern and says, what does it matter? In the same way Paul's writing here, he says, what does it matter? You follow me. As if to say, focus, focus, dude. It's not about everything happening around you follow me. That's the goal. That's the gig. And I love that so much. I love his focus. Second, he says, I rejoice and I will rejoice, both present and future, not even knowing what his circumstances are going to be. He says, I am rejoicing. I am overjoyed and I will be joyful. The title of tonight's, tonight's message or today's message is The Choice to Rejoice. And the big idea is that you are resourced to rejoice. God has given us every weapon, every reason to rejoice in all seasons. This isn't easy, and I want to call that out. I want to call um, out that it's really, really hard to take on the perspective of Paul, and I don't want to spiritually bypass those that are listening and say, ah, just like, just be stoked on everything. No, like this is a conscientious, very difficult thing but it takes a mindset shift. It takes a perspective shift. It takes focusing on the right things. And we're gonna look at a few things that Paul focuses on in this verse so that we can be resourced well to choose to rejoice. Does that sound good? Is everybody with me? You can't see me, but I have some of my closest friends sitting behind this camera and I'm just so stoked to have that. Um, so if I look off camera, like that's that's what we're looking at. So. Before I get into the text, um, this is a necessary thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's necessary because it's talked about in all of the Pauline letters. He, he, he puts emphasis on rejoicing. Um, and that's why like even in, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says this, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For am I, For when I am weak, I am strong. Joy is important. A pastor in Chicago named Bruce Larson says it really, really well. He says, joy is the surest sign of the presence of God. The bottom line for you and me is simply this. Grimness is not a Christian virtue. I let, that, let that sink in. Like, grimness is not a Christian virtue. There are no sad saints, he says. If God really is the center of your life and being, joy is Inevitable. If we have no joy, we have missed the heart of the good news and our bodies, as much as our souls, will suffer the consequences. It's not about being fake. I'm sure like you hear me say that and say, oh, just rejoice. It's not about being fake. It's about being faithful. It's about looking at our situations and saying, what am I commanded to do? What is being faithful and obedient look like in this season? It's to remember. It's to remember what Christ did so that we can be joyful because it's important. It's an, it's an important uh important thing for others for non-believers to see us and to see that we are overjoyed and then they ask questions and go why why is he or she so different and then we get the opportunity to tell them so let's talk about how in the very very first part Paul looks at and says verse 13 I want you to know dear ones what has happened to me I'm in prison has not hindered but helped my ministry of preaching the gospel causing to, to, to expand and spread to many people this is the best part For now the elite Roman guards and government officials overseeing my imprisonment have plainly recognized that I am here because of my love for the anointed one. That's one thing I want you to focus on. The second, and what I'm going through has actually caused many believers to become even more courageous in the Lord and to be bold and passionate and preach the word of God all because of my chains. Paul flipped the script, man. He understood that God was still in his pain and it was all part of the plan because he he went, he said, I... His whole goal, background, his whole goal was he knew he was going to Rome to preach the gospel. But he thought he was gonna go as a preacher and he went as a prisoner. And that's like so mind-blowing to me. He went thinking that he was gonna preach the word to the masses in one way. And he actually went and preached it to the Roman soldiers. Instead of looking at it like I'm chained to this guy and I'm in this cell, I can't do what God's called me to do. He says, no, this is exactly what Paul or God called me to do. He says, this guy... I'm not chained to this guy, this guy's chained to me. And they cycle Praetorian guards every couple hours. And so he just had like people given to him that were chained to him. He's like, I guess they're just gonna hear about Jesus. Like that was his mindset versus saying, I guess there's nothing I can do. I can't fulfill my mission. He totally flipped it. He said, no, like that guard's gonna hear the good news every day. And the second thing is he said that this struggle would give confidence to others. He says, my imprisonment isn't for nothing. This doesn't prevent me from doing my mission. It actually makes it more profound and gives confidence to people who also want to be a part of this. They look at Paul and they see that he's in prison. and He goes, oh man, if he's in prison and he's being that bold, I can be bold. I can be bold in my workplace. I can be bold with my family. I can be bold with my friends. And that's exactly what he speaks to. He says, other people are doing just that. I'm going to give a few examples. My favorite brewery in Boulder, Colorado, is Cineas Brewing. I'm not being paid by them. I just super love the brewery. Some of the best beer, best tacos. When they first opened, they got a lot of they got a lot of publicity. All the papers wrote about it. They said, "Man, some of the best upper echelon of beer that you'd ever had. Tacos are fantastic, but there's this one thing that kind of sucks." there's this train that comes by every single 20 or so minutes. And it's like shakes the whole place. You can't really do anything. You can't talk to your friends and it's like really, really jarring. In that moment, Sanitas could have read all those papers and said, man, we gotta move. This wasn't the plan. We gotta go. This place stinks. Nobody likes it here. We can't set up a good environment for people. But instead they said, how do we look at this as an opportunity? And so they said, every single time a train comes by, they're gonna lower the price of beer down to $2. And so everybody in the place freaks out every single time a train goes by. The one thing that people thought was the worst thing that was gonna put them out of business became their like cornerstone. That's the kind of thinking at a very like tangential level. I'll give you an example of when I didn't do this. I went to Ireland with uh, my closest friend um, in college. And it was the last year of college. We, we went, we were there for like 10 days. And our day we were supposed to leave, the volcano in Reykjavik blew up. Like just insane disaster. It was so wild. Like blackness in the sky, storms everywhere. All the planes in Europe land, like, uh, grounded for a whole week. And so we were stuck in Ireland Poor me for a whole nother week. And in that moment, like I had just started dating Kale. I was like, man, I really just kind of want to get back to my girl, you know, like, like I don't I don't want to be here anymore and for that whole week I like cuz we didn't know we were going to leave I like stayed in my hotel room and I didn't I didn't actually do anything I didn't experience more of Ireland I didn't see the opportunity in that moment I stayed in my hotel all because I thought that ah this just stinks I played the victim and I was paralyzed in that moment that's a good example of like what not to do our move to Colorado was similar in nature I think it's important to note when uh, Kayla and I moved from Chicago to to Colorado for the first four years here, we struggled a whole lot. We didn't have community, couldn't find a place to get plugged in. We couldn't find a place to build. We didn't feel like we were using our gifts well, and our marriage almost fell apart. And as I look back at that season, I can say, man, that sucked, and just not talk about it. But that season was so important and so distinctive. It was intentional from God so that we can communicate to those in Boulder that are going through the exact same thing because we weren't alone. It was a common deal. We were so lonely. We didn't have a single friend. In that moment, I could look at that season and go, ah, that was just like, let's just not talk about that season. But no, I do need to talk about that season. God used that season, it's very intentional. We've connected with more families, more married couples because of our time of loneliness, solitude, isolation. Than any other thing in our in our in our relationship, it's a connection point that God used and expects us to use. Shameless plug, get in a crew. You have to. I love how uh, uh, in First Peter it says, "Love one another as if your life depends on it," and that's real. You have to have other people around you. So sorry, that was unscripted, but definitely something that you should pursue. Reflect back on your life when something that didn't go to plan, and did you just mark it off and say that this was just something that I can't really affect, something that I can't overcome, there was no good in it, or do you see how God is working in all the traumatic, the less than ideal situations in your life? Do you see it now? My prayer is that I see it faster. That's what I see, because I don't want to wait like like six years down the road to look back and go, ah, that's exactly what God was doing. I want it to be so, like such a reflex for me to hear and see exactly what's happening to me and go, man, why is this happening? What is happening? And go, huh, I wonder what God's doing. That should be the initial response. And I pray that that's like my reflex because that's the goal. That's exactly what Paul is doing. He said, instead of saying what is happening, I don't know what the purpose is in all this. He says, God's doing something special. I just don't know what it is yet. John Piper says it really well. He says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. You might know about three of them. Like, he's got it, man. Instead of the constraints, Paul focused on God's providence. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is that instead of focusing on the critics, Paul focused on God's power. In in, uh, verse fourteen, it says, "It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains." Paul could have focused on the selfish or false motives of his brothers and sisters, but instead he chose to focus on God's power through the gospel in their testimony. That's all he cared about. He goes, "What does it matter? So long as Christ is being preached." as if to expect that God is going to work through that. He's talking about two specific types of people. He's talking about people who are overruled by selfish ambition. And that word is used in a very political sense. And this is very timely. He's talking about people lobbying for their selfish ambition of their personal gain or their political party. For instance, they were said to, instead of saying, uh, hey, are you for Jesus? Do you know about Jesus? They're asking, are you for us or for Paul? And man, like, okay, does, I, hope that, I hope that resonates with you because I feel, I feel that. I feel like people are talking about really ground level stuff when really we're supposed to operate at a much higher altitude. Like even in the church, we hear that. Are you a Bethel person or a Voo Church person? Are you a Hillsong person? Are you a Carl Lentz person? Are you a Matt Chandler person? It doesn't matter. Are you a Jesus person? Do you know Jesus? That's the question. Are you a Republican? Are you a Democrat? Here's the here's the, here's like the sad truth about all of that. Because if you operate off of the political religions, you're going to find that there's no real truth in that. And it's not comprehensive. It's not life-giving. It's not enough to lean into a single person in a party, a Trump or a Biden or a Kanye. Is Kanye a thing? I think Kanye is a thing. But like it... I'm I'm here to tell you, friend, that 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 is a fruitless endeavor to lean in heavily to a political religion. The right's always gonna try to bring you back to a utopia that never existed. The left's gonna paint this picture of a utopia that never will be. Our agenda, our political agenda is in heaven. And I would just encourage you in this season as a side note to elevate the conversation. These things are temporary. They matter and they're important to a lot of people people, but your identity should not be in your political party. It's such a small thing compared to what Jesus gives us. Our identity is in him. It's way more significant, way more comprehensive, and also way more freeing. So I would encourage you in that. The second thing, Paul's focusing us to do God's work instead of God's job. I think he's referencing this in Philippians to the, to the Philippians uh, as a means of saying, hey, don't focus on what their motivations are. If they're selfish, if they're insincere, if they do it out of envy or, or despair, it doesn't matter. God's power is in their testimony in the gospel. It's not our job. I think we get it, this is important. I think we get caught up in doing God's job instead of God's work. God's job is to, worry about those things. Our job is to administer the gospel. Let's go through a few things. God's work, our our doing God's work is to love God, love people, make him famous, and administer the gospel. That is the gig. That's the job. It's very clear. Love people, love God, tell as many people as you can about him. That's it. Our work is not to police or criticize servants of the Lord, to defend God's honor like we can, like he can't defend himself to judge the commitment or the hearts of our fellow believers or to compare our walk with theirs. Have you ever done that? I have. It's it's about insincerity, which is the second kind of people he calls out. He says, it doesn't matter if they're selfish or if they're doing it out of insincerity. It's kind of funny. It makes me think of uh, the Cubs. I don't talk about sports ball a lot, but bear with me. We lived in Chicago, 2013. Every Cubs fan we met was like kind of crazy, kind of a masochist. Like they lovingly were like losers. You know, they were like hundred years in to not winning anything. And they were still like, it's gonna happen, man. But man, like, I love seeing their faith. I love seeing their faith in the Cubs. We left, 2015 rolls around and you start to see this uptick. They win the World Series in 2016, and all of a sudden, everybody's a Cubs fan. And I'm sure in that moment, it was really, really hard for those initial Cubs fans who sat through through the dark times, right? And they looked around and they go, you aren't a Cubs fan. I feel the same way about Marvel. I was very nerdy as a kid. I didn't have a whole lot of friends. And I remember vividly just sitting in my room, looking at comic books, well before Disney had anything to do with the X-Men or the Avengers. I remember buying comics well before Disney did. And then as soon as Disney picked them up and they did the greatest saga of movies in one fell swoop ever, everybody becomes a Marvel fan. In that moment, I had to fight to say, ah, you aren't really a Marvel fan. You don't even know like all the things that are missing. Like, but really, our response should be, I'm just glad you're here. I'm just so glad you're here. I don't care how he got here. I don't care why you're a Coast fan. I don't care why you care about Marvel now. I don't care what brought you to Jesus. I'm just glad that you're for Jesus because God's gonna, God's gonna deal with their heart. God's gonna convict their heart. If they're doing it out of selfish ambition, I'm sure they're gonna see it eventually. But even if they don't, it doesn't matter because I'm sure even in my walk, I can look back at like, my walk with Jesus even 10 years and go, ah, that was selfish. And I'm sure even 10 years from now, I'll look back and go, that wasn't that wasn't pure that wasn't right that wasn't just for him that was for me and so be careful be careful about judging the motivations of others it's a fruitless endeavor all that matters is that Christ is preached that's what paul's focusing on care less about how and why these people are here and just be stoked that they're here do you focus on the power of god to do all the things Do you focus on the power of the gospel to do what it says it will do? Do you focus on the power of your testimony? I love what it says in Revelations. It says they conquered him completely, talking about the enemy, through the blood of the lamb and the powerful words of their testimony. They triumphed because they did not love and cling to their own lies, even when faced with death. So rejoice, you heavens, and every heavenly being. There's power in the gospel. There's power that we can't understand the gospel. When you present the gospel or your testimony to somebody, it will literally change things. That's amazing. Like we have a superpower. Are you focused on that? or Are you focused on criticizing? Are you a Bethel person? Are you an elevation person? Do you like Chandler or Rich Wilkerson? The question should be, have you heard about Jesus? Not what version of Jesus are you allegiant to? It's important to note that I'm not affirming like selfish ambition, and Paul doesn't either. And later in verse 27, he talks about, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition but don't fixate on the opposition and the motives of other people. It's a dead end. The last thing we see is that in Paul's crisis, he could have focused on it, but he focused on God's promises. He says in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul saw every outcome in his situation as a W. If you haven't heard Pastor Dave's message from last week, it's awesome, it speaks directly to this. He says, either I die and I win. I get to be in heaven with Jesus, parting. it's awesome. Or I don't and I get to remain here and build the church here on earth and bring heaven down. W, either way. Man, like that's, in, that's like so insane to me to think that way like no matter in what outcome it's going to be for good our true lives are in heaven that's why that like that's that's where Paul's thoughts are occupied he's got a heavenly agenda on his mind he's like i don't really i don't really care the promise of god is that i will be delivered in one way or another i will either be released from prison and get to go help my brothers and sisters build this church or i will get to go to heaven and party like God, that's like so amazing. Harkens, to, it harkens back to what we heard Pastor Dave say last week. He wasn't worried about dying. He was hopeful that he would die well, not be ashamed and magnify Christ. It reminds me of like that Braveheart scene where like he, uh, the, the girl wants him to drink the poison. He's like, no, I don't want to drink the poison so I can actually like magnify my purpose in that moment of death. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to scream out in pain. I want to be... I want to be of right mind. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. He says, I want to die well if I am to die, to not be ashamed. I want to magnify Christ in my life. I think about that a lot, maybe too much. It's not a great exercise to think about your death. But I do think about my funeral. Cale and I talk about it in jest. Poor, poor woman is probably going to have to learn how to shoot an arrow flaming at a moving boat for my funeral. But I'm less concerned about that. I know she'll figure it out. I'm more stoked on like what I hope and pray people will say about me. I hope people will will look at me and say, man, like Matt was X, Y, and Z, but man, did he love Christ. Like, man, did I see Jesus in him. Like Christ was magnified in his life. I looked at him and I got to know a better picture of who who Jesus was through Matt's friendship. And, like, do you hope for that? I hope you do. Because it's very sobering. It changes how you do everything, it changes how you relate to people, it changes how you give hope to other people, how you refocus others in their time of need. It changes where you spend your time, what you do for money. It changes everything, and it should. And so not a helpful exercise to do, maybe daily, but definitely a good exercise to do, maybe sometimes. What do you want people to say at your funeral? I want people to know that I had a superpower. I want people to know that Jesus was the joy in my life. This is like the most badass verse in Philippians, to me, personally. It's in chapter four, and Paul says this. I know what it means to lack. I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance for I am trained in the secret of overcoming all things. That's am- that is like so cool. For I am trained in the secret of overcoming all things, whether in fullness or in hunger. And I will find that the strength of Christ's explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty. That is like so cool. And we get that. In Jesus, we get that. We get it by dwelling on the promises of God, he says, I will be with you. I will protect you. I will free you. I will break change. I'll be your strength. I'll answer you. I'll provide for you. I'll give you peace. I'll always love you. I'll always heal you. I will multiply you and your strength. When we dwell on the promises of God, man, it's like we can overcome anything. Do you want to be trained in the secret of overcoming all things? I I do. Do you want the ability and the resources to choose joy in every season? Throughout Jesus, if I'm not rejoicing, it's because I've lost sight. This is like a really hard if statement that I've struggled with this week especially. If I'm not rejoicing, it's because I've lost sight. I've forgotten what matters. I've lost focus on his providence, his power, and his promises. Look, these secrets that Christians have, focusing on those three things, his providence his power and his promise, turn all of our troubles into tools for the kingdom. In a moment, all of our turmoil and pain become something that God can use for good. What the enemy intends for evil, me getting mugged, loneliness, depression, can be used for good in the kingdom of God. But you have to think about it that way. You have to completely change your perspective and your focus. Listen, so I'll leave you with this. I don't see a reason why you wouldn't want to have this superpower. If you want to know what this secret is, to be trained in the secret art of overcoming all things, all you need is to receive. Look, here at Pinewood, we're Jesus people. If it isn't abundantly clear, we believe that this man was sent by God, who's his only son, lived a perfect life, died a gruesome death, buried, rose again after three days, did all of that because we're broken and we're sinful and we need him. And to live and party with him in heaven for the rest of eternity, all we have to do is receive that gift, that he did that and claim his, him as Lord of our life. Listen, I don't, I don't hear about a lot of people who convert to atheism on their deathbed. I hear a lot about people who convert to Christianity. I hear a lot of people who go, I wanna know that hope. Right now, in my darkest moment, I want to know that hope in Jesus. I would just encourage you, don't wait. Don't wait until your deathbed. Don't wait until the end. Do it now and experience the ability and the resources to rejoice in all seasons. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember... Just keep coming back.